this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath earlier this month the parliament passed the forest conservation amendment act 2023 This law amends the Forest Conservation Act 1980 which has been in force for all these decades while the government claims that the aim of this law is to help fight climate change by promoting afforestation conservationists have panned the act they say that it is actually promoting deforestation now why are environmentalists so worried about this new law does it really take away existing protections afforded to forests and why are people particularly in the northeastern states so concerned about this new legislation we discuss this act in detail in this episode of in focus and we are joined by ravi chellam ceo of metastring foundation and coordinator of the biodiversity collaborative ravi welcome to in focus great to have you on the show thank you for calling me So Ravi to start with uh, I just wanted to uh, have your uh, observations and impression on this uh, this particular aspect of the debate which is that this act its critics say changes the definition of the term forest so that so that a great deal of what we consider forest today will no longer have the protections under the provisions of the mother act which is the forest conservation act 1980 see the forest conservation act doesn't explicitly define forest what it does is it outlines forests or forest lands over which the act would be applicable so it's not an ecological definition it's an administrative definition it's a way of circumscribing areas over which the fca 1980 would apply and it basically said that forest as per government record declared under the indian forest act 1927 and other government records so that was the status starting from 1980 after this law came into so it was an administrative definition yes so that how do you implement the law and so on and so forth it got expanded by the supreme court decision of 12th december 1996 where it said that the fca should really apply to all habitats all land which meets the dictionary definition of a forest so you had a period of about 15 years when fca came in when it was going by the administrative definition but the supreme court expanded it and i think it made sense in expanding it because we were going through ecological crisis and it provided a better framework for understanding development in the context context of environmental conservation and putting a bit of a break on conversion of natural forest ecosystems to other uses which is really the framework that the forest conservation act is it's called the forest conservation act it's really about regulating change of land use from forest to non forest right uh, ravi just to so sorry to interrupt just to get you uh, to so weigh in on this counter to this uh, argument 
which is which you one keeps hearing everywhere you said that you know the supreme court intervened and said you know we should follow the dictionary definition of the forest and and the government and government spokespersons have said that this is a problem uh, because uh, suppose i were to suppose i have 20 25 hectares of my own and then i am very uh, fond of uh, greenery and i develop it into a forest kind of a thickly vegetated kind of an area and tomorrow i want to sell it now it's a forest according to the dictionary definition so i won't be able to do it you know so this kind of a bureaucratic hurdle is what this new amendment does away with is an argument one keeps hearing so what do you have to what are your thoughts on this obviously given the constitutional rights of property and ownership if the government sees this as an obstacle in some way i don't know what the obstacle is it's more of a challenge for the private land owner if the forest meets ecological needs has a function including carbon sequestration the government should really i mean in some sense the government has fairly large budgets it should invest and make sure that this land comes un- under government ownership what it does is whatever number of years 10 20 30 40 50 years over which this on this private land natural vegetation has grown that comes to you literally free instead of if you change ownership it's very likely that the forest cover will be lost and that cannot really be defended in today's world in no part of the country or the world can any further destruction of natural functioning ecosystems be justified in the name of development it is absolute nonsense to say we can continue to destroy functioning ecosystems because we need to develop develop for what develop how what are the consequences of these development you losing ecological security losing environmental sustainability is in many ways weakening internal national security right but ravi haven't we always sort of prioritized development uh, at the expense of what you call environmental security because we have a huge population which needs jobs for which you need growth for which you need industry for which you need land so uh, like how can one how can the government possibly take a stand Uh, we are a developing country we are not like you know germany or sweden you know so we need to we need to sort of uh, uh, focus on getting economic growth up and running for jobs to be created that is anyway the argument uh, we keep hearing so how does as an environmentalist or a conservationist one counter this uh, very strong and uh, common sensical uh, perspective you call it common sensical i could say some fairly strong things against that <laughs> but um what it's all boils down to definitions it all boils down to value systems it's all boils down to looking at good hard data we had uttarakhand in what 2013 i think and now i mean i'm losing track of the number of disasters in my, and we we have the gall to call it natural disasters after actually having created it by our action and inaction what is happening in himachal is not by any stretch of imagination natural and i think parts of uttarakhand have been affected this year also we saw what happened in delhi 
So you have cycles of drought, flood, extreme weather events, fire, heat waves, pandemics. I mean, I could go on and on. So is this what development about? Is this the model of development? Now, if we use narrow metrics, narrow definitions, short-term thinking, this is where you'll continue to regurgitate the whole thing. There is mounting evidence, not just from India, globally, the short-sightedness of this approach. And I think we need to pivot. If we constantly keep, and there is no shortage of land, there's no shortage of natural resources. It is how you plan and what use you put to it. Continuing to invest in hydrocarbon consuming industries, continuing to invest in land use changes is not helping anybody in the, in, and it's not sustainable. Right. In terms of uh, what you just said, Ravi, about a pivot towards sustainability, there is one school of thought uh, which is gaining ground apparently, which is that, okay, let's keep uh, the forests, but to keep their maintenance uh, and to sort of also provide employment, also sort of keep this whole forest area-related economics going, uh, there is uh, the school of thought which says, okay, let's promote ecotourism where you generate revenue from tourists and tourism going to these forests, you know, have maybe in one corner of the forest a resort or lodge or whatever. And this amendment tries to make uh, this uh, more easily uh, possible. And also, you know, zoos and safari parks to forests and so on. So this is one of the things which the amendment hopes to do by making it easier to obtain clearances. Uh, what are your thoughts on the provisions related to this? See, first, for zoos and safari parks, they need to be closer to dense human populations rather than in uh, forest areas. Zoos typically will host a variety of species, many of them not native to the region in which they are located. It poses enormous disease risks. Or potentially animals can escape. So you have all those kind of issues. You don't want close to natural forest ecosystems. And no way can you again justify clearing forest to construct zoos or safari parks. What, what this amendment has done is essentially call zoos, safari parks as forestry activities. And hence, it doesn't come under the purview of forest conservation. It's clearly zoos and safari parks are constructed using steel and concrete. I don't know how that can become a forestry activity. These need to be located elsewhere. There are other ethical issues. There are several other issues we need to consider when it comes to zoos and safari parks. Are animals meant for our uh, entertainment and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's the, let's not get into that. We are only focused on the forestry uh, thing. Right. So Ravi, you said the zoos and safari parks uh, and even ecotourism, is it? Is it? It's considered a forestry activity. But in my head, by forestry activity, what comes to my mind is, you know, uh, Adivasis collecting tendu leaves and also collecting tendu leaves and uh, steel and concrete are now the same kind of activity according to this law, is it? See, what does the Forest Conservation Act try to do? It tries to regulate non-forestry activities. Now, if you call anything forestry, then the FCA does not apply. That's what it has done for zoos, safaris, ecotourism facilities, and 
any other like purposes. There is this delightfully vague last clause which says for any other like purposes which the central government may order, comma, specify. So not only are these three blocks of activities called forestry, it has also left it open for the central government to periodically uh, order and specify further sets of activities which could be called forestry and hence not come under the regulation of the Forest Conservation Act. But to get to your ecotourism, it's a slightly different one. At least in the case of zoos and safaris, there are animals involved. Ecotourism is primarily an economic activity. We've been calling, we've just relabeled much of our tourism as ecotourism. Ecotourism has environmental, social and economic aspects to it. Ecotourism by definition should be focused on local communities, but it's been investor heavy. It's been still the outside capitalist coming in and investing money. And most of our so-called resorts do not uh, meet the norms, either in terms of sustainability or in terms of the economic and social aspects of it. So to claim again ecotourism to be a forestry activity, I think, is a step in the wrong direction. And most of our ecotourism facilities have just developed rampantly, in some sense, killing the goose that lays the golden egg. Right. So, if I understand you correctly, uh, what is happening with this amendment is that this forestry activity, this term forestry activity is like a magic pill. You apply it to something and it automatically comes out of the purview of the Forest Conservation Act. Correct. There are all, of course, there are some exclude, there are further uh, exclusions and exemptions like the 100 kilometer uh, belt from international boundaries, uh, then the uh, up to 0.1 hectare along linear uh, uh, development like rail line, public road, uh, which provide access to certain uh, uh, settlements and to roadside amenities. So there are several such uh, exclusions and exemptions for security related uh, in terms of left-wing terrorism activities. So if you want to build a a security infrastructure up to five hectares, that also is given an exemption. Right. Now, uh, coming to this uh, 100 kilometers from the international border uh, exemption and and related uh, uh, provisions, now four village councils in uh, Nagaland's Seminu district they have started a protest movement against the Forest Conservation Amendment Act. And they are saying that the provisions of this act are, quote-unquote, against the interests of the indigenous communities. So I have like two related questions. One, does this, how does this act take into account the rights of the people who are living in the forest, the indigenous communities? And secondly, is there something about this act, this 100 kilometers from the border uh, proviso, uh, which makes this act particularly onerous for uh, the people in the northeastern states? I'll answer your second question first. Given our peculiar geography, if you look at the way our northeast uh, states are configured, uh, they share international boundaries. They're small states, first of all. And they share international boundaries on two, sometimes three uh, aspects of their boundaries. And it's a bit of a squiggly uh, boundary we share with Uh, Bhutan, uh, China, uh, Bangladesh, Myanmar. And we've done some quick analysis. Uh, 
if you put a 100 kilometer belt right along the international boundary much of the northeast forest fall under this belt we of course also have to consider uh, be careful in how we interpret this what it does is provide an exemption meaning any security related development that has to take place in this 100 kilometer belt will not come under the purview of the forest conservation act it doesn't mean that every square kilometer under this 100 kilometer belt will lose its forest so that's that's a extreme interpretation if that's the way some people are looking at it but rightfully so not just in nagaland several northeast states including the mizoram state assembly has passed a resolution against the amended uh, forest conservation act uh, the concerns really are much of the forest in the northeast are anyway community owned first they lose because they are not officially recorded forest so they lose that protection of the forest conservation act over and above that with that 100 km belt national security concerns will always be prioritized over local people's concerns plus when the fca does not apply due process will not be followed which means the public consultation aspects the gram sabha approval those kind of safeguards that were part of the process are no longer applicable so the forest rights act consultation will not take place so these are where i think the people uh, discomfort is coming from right i think uh, that is really well explained ravi thank you for that i mean this is what you said about community owned forests are not enjoying any protection whatsoever following this amendment i think that's a big uh, point uh, we should all uh, think about and moving to another aspect of this uh, law uh, people keep saying the government spokespersons have pointed out time and again that if you are going to use the enabling provisions of this act to promote afforestation if more plantations are going to come up then what is the harm you know because we do need to be able to get more land for afforestation purposes if we need to sort of take some forest cover away for development somewhere else so this to my mind seems to assume an equivalence between naturally occurring biodiverse forests which we might do away with and the compensatory afforestation measures uh, which a government or private parties may undertake uh, which may be one or two species or whatever so do both these kinds of forests have the same kind of effect when it comes to carbon sequestration and so on i need to provide you a slightly longer and nuanced answer first the era of afforestation is really dead and gone we need to be using ecological restoration trees alone will never provide the answer trees alone may, might not even be appropriate in most situations number 1 number 2 you preface this question by saying we need a forestation to compensate for forest that might be taken away for development i've already tried to put that kind of approach to rest by saying no longer ecologically socially economically and even justice wise can destruction of natural ecosystems in any name 
be further justified or should be justified. It is ethically wrong. It is morally wrong. It is an eco-suicide if you continue to do that. So that's to set the frame. But to, uh, to answer your direct question, it has been proven. And most recently, in the last few days, I've been reading about good audits of these compensatory afforestation, not just in India, or globally, uh, what they call carbon offsets. They have really proved to be failures just from carbon stocks. Forget the social and other uh, impacts. They have not delivered they have, it's the usual hype with development. You overstate the benefits and understate the cost. Here, the rate at which carbon has been fixed have been much lower than what was touted. But to answer directly your question, natural, diverse, functioning ecosystems will always hold more carbon in the long term in a much more sustainable way with literally zero cost. If you are to a forest, you need a lot of financial and physical inputs into it, number one. Number two, it's been proven that long-term natural forests will outcompete human-planted tree crops. That's the only way I would describe it. I wouldn't even call it forest. What we plant are tree crops like we plant rice, sugarcane, and maize. Right. So you are saying uh, afforestation is basically plantation of tree crops. And you're also saying that the era of afforestation is gone and we need to look at ecological uh, restoration. That's a powerful thought indeed. And I think this, uh, if it sort of is taken up seriously by the decision makers at the center, I think it could really uh, be a game changer for India in particular. But then, Ravi, isn't uh, what you said earlier about carbon offsets, isn't carbon offsets through afforestation, etc. Isn't it still a core element of international climate governance, so to speak? It is, but we need to look at data, right? I mean, it was an idea 10, 20 years ago. Now the data is coming in and telling us it's not working. Right. Now, coming to this ecological restoration part of uh, things, Ravi, where does India stand right now in terms of forest cover? How much we needed to have how much we have right now as a percentage and how much more we need in order to fight climate change to sort of prevent the recurrence of events like what we have seen in Himachal and Uttarakhand. Both are really, really heavily forested uh, states. Well, they are heavily forested on a comparative scale. But what are we doing in that forested landscapes also has to be seen. We can't put the onus on nature to somehow absorb all the shocks and destruction that we inflict on her and still to be continued to be resilient. I mean, we widen roads against best advice, against the own appointed expert committees. We continue to blast, you know, and also don't expect just because we are ecologically restoring these problems to disappear. These problems are an accumulation of several decades, if not a couple of centuries of bad behavior of humanity. And these are global problems. If India fixes it to some extent, yes, mitigation will take place. It will help us uh, be more resilient, but it's not going to fix the problem. So it's not be seen like taking a paracetamol and the fever will go away. It, it, it's not going to happen. These are going to require long-term sustained engagement. Now, 
In terms of forest cover, our stated goals is 33%, one-third of our land cover. And the latest uh, Indian State of Forest report, which has been published, is from 2021. And the total forest cover is in the region of about... Would you want to go in percentages? Like you said, we needed to have 33%. So are we anywhere close? Or are we are we somewhere on 23, 22? I don't know. We are about 22, 22%. Uh, we are about 22% uh, uh, forest cover. Uh, and uh, there is, of course, you then add uh, tree cover to it. But still, all of that doesn't exceed 24 or 25% of our land cover. So there's still quite a bit to go in terms of meeting the 33%. But the answer to meeting that goal is not to just go and plant trees. It, uh, two things. One, our record in planting trees is not being excellent. Two, species poor, tree plantations deliver far few benefits than ecologically restored landscapes, which means you take the integrated ecology in mind, you start from the soil, you look at grasses, you look at herbs, shrubs, trees, you look at succession, and you look at all the native wildlife that then needs to come back. And that's really what we need to be doing. And those habitats sequester far more carbon for much longer period of time. They are much more stable. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is a completely different uh, frame of reference. When I, mean, I was just reminded, uh, listening to you of this news report I read recently, I don't know if you caught it too, about uh, there, there is a plan to fail, I don't know how many lakhs of trees uh, in the Andaman Nicobar Islands, one of the islands, and uh, they're going to plant compensatory, uh, whatever lack of trees in Haryana, so that India as a whole uh, is able to offset uh, whatever sequestration targets it needs to do. So, uh, I don't know if this is the kind of uh, paradigm which is going to pay us dividends in the future with regard to the fight against climate change. One last question, Ravi, before we wrap up. What happens next now? What happens now? Is this act going to be challenged in the courts? Is anything in the courts already? Or people going to be sort of uh, lobbying with the government to make further amendments uh, to the law that has been passed? Like, what are the, What is the thinking among conservationists in terms of a response uh, to this legislation? First and foremost, I don't think um, there is still enough and widespread understanding of what the amendments are and what these what implications they will have. So more and more awareness, education, conversations are taking place. And you're seeing some response from the Northeast at least. One, a state itself passing a resolution in its assembly. And the other, you as you mentioned, in Nagaland, uh, certain civil society groups taking a position. There have also been some consultations uh, in civil society to examine the possibility uh, of a legal challenge. Uh, I don't think uh, anybody has gone to court as yet, but also the government has uh, said that a lot of the implementation is going to depend on the guidelines that they will uh, publish, issue. That hasn't happened. So while you have the top-level changes, the uh, devil is always in the details. So we're also waiting for the guidelines to be published to really then take an informed view as to what uh, our next steps would be. Right. I mean, uh, really powerful uh, thoughts and observations here, Ravi. Thank you so much for sharing them. I think what stands out for me uh, from this conversation going forward is that uh, destruction of naturally occurring ecosystems and forests 
for whatever purpose development and you know infrastructure i think it's no longer uh, on the table given the situation the planet and uh, the country finds itself in with regard to climate change i think uh, the paradigm we are operating from right now uh, at the government level is still maybe 20 25 30 years older where we are still thinking in terms of trade offs i think the trade off is no longer something we can afford we need to sort of change it and look to ecological restoration as you said thank you so much for uh, joining us and for sharing your observations ravi pleasure talking to you thanks ampar thank you In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.